opening chapter 2 today. Uh, next week we'll finish out chapter 2. So I'd invite you to, to read along with me this week as we get ready for next week. Uh, but this week we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be at verses 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And I invite you to read along with me in your own Bible uh, or in your pew Bible in front of you. Or you can also follow along on the back of your order of worship. A reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning, as I, this week as I was studying this text and reading through it, it kind of reminded me of some stuff I was thinking about this summer. Uh, this text, as I read it, really got me thinking about the concept of mentors. Uh, I've talked recently about the ability that we need in our life to have someone who can speak into our life, someone who can kind of call us out when we need to be called out. We all need someone in our life surrounding us who can speak into our life to let us know where we may be missing the mark or where we, where we may be, need to grow. We all need someone that we've given permission to. But as I read this text this morning specifically, I thought of mentors, those who may be, but not necessarily older than us, who we have seen and who have taken the time to have poured into us. And every one of us, be it spiritual, be it professional, be it in our family, every one of us has someone that we have admired or looked up to who may have been a mentor to us. So as I thought about this text, I thought about my mentors. I thought about uh, Dr. Bryant, who, Dr. Barry Bryant, who now teaches at Garrett Evangelical Seminary in Chicago or Evanston. That's the United Methodist Seminary in, in that part of the world. How, you know how Candler, you may know Candler Seminary is on the campus of Emory, and, and Duke is on the campus of Duke. Well, Garrett Evangelical is on the campus of Northwestern in, in the Chicago area. Dr. Bryce, Dr. Bryant was my Methodist and, and history professor when I was in seminary in Memphis. Dr. Nick was another mentor of mine. You've probably heard me uh, say in most every prayer I pray, I always uh, say, and we pray for those for whom no one else prays. I straight up stole that from Dr. Nick. <laughs> we were in class one day, and Dr. Nick prayed that, and I said, that might be the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in a prayer. And I just stole it. <laughs> I just stole it, and I've prayed it ever since then. Uh, Dr. Bryson, who was a professor of mine at Mississippi College, Dr. Bryson taught preaching over there back when I, was, I wasn't even in the ministry yet. Uh, Dr. Bryson taught me there. Dr. Bryson was a long-time 
preaching professor at, at New Orleans Baptist. So I joke that nearly every Baptist preacher in Mississippi has been taught by Dr. Bryson at some point. He was a, a dear mentor of mine at school. I've, uh, pastors I've worked for, Gary Thompson was my first pastor at Raymond United Methodist. When I, as I tell folks, I was the worst youth pastor in probably Christian history. Like, and I'm not being falsely humble. I was really bad. I had no clue what I was doing. I was unorganized and I had no time. So yeah, other, but other than that, I was great. Um, so uh, Dr. Bryson, I mean, I, 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 Gary Thompson really poured into me, corrected me a lot when I got things wrong, but I'm thankful for that. But as I thought about this text, and you'll see why this text spoke to me, the, the person I thought about the most was Sam Morse. Uh, I've, I've, I thought, I've thought a lot about Sam the last year or so, how much I missed him. But I just thought about how much Sam meant to me. Uh, many of you have commented on the robes that I've been wearing on Sundays, the white one that I wear on communion Sundays, this black one, commented on how, how good they look. Well, they're Sam's robes. Judy gave them to me. And so every, every Sunday when I robe up and get ready for church, I put them on and I think about Sam and I say, Lord, help me to present the gospel with as much kindness and clarity and mercy as Sam presented it. So I always think about that every Sunday. I think about that, what he meant to me. But the reason why I thought about him in connection to this text is Sam told me something that's always stuck with me. When the Bible was written, there were no highlighters. It wasn't like in the Gospels, the Lord said to Peter and, and, and Mark and them, hey, guys, take out the red pen now, red pen. We want to write this in red. You know, that didn't exist. That was a modern thing. So in the Bible, when something is, imp- if it's in the Bible, if it's in the text, it's important. You know, we need to listen to what the text says, meditate upon it, pray upon it. If it's there, it's important. If it's mentioned twice, particularly in a small space, that's God saying, hey, this is a big deal pay attention. Like, this is a big deal. If it's mentioned three times, that's God's way of shouting, hey, like, look at this. Ding, 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 ding. Look, this is important. Pay attention. So the more frequently, Sam would say, the more frequently a word or a concept is mentioned in the scope of a scripture, the more important it is for us to listen to. Okay. So let's examine the first portion of today's text. We're going to start reading with verse 2. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, a full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but let humility, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Three times. In a very short period, the word mind is mentioned. That's interesting to me. And notice how it references it. Take on this mind. Have this mind. It's a very active thing. Put this mind in you. And as I begin to think about mind, contrasting mind and emotion, one of my favorite quotes ever was uh, something someone told me once. Your emotions are a great advisor, but a terrible master. It's good stuff right there. What does that mean? You may feel right now 
like you're worthless. You may feel right now like you have no value, like you're unlovable, like you've done too much wrong in your life, like there's no way God can use you, like you've simply gone too far. You may feel, you may feel like God is not present. You may feel like God has forsaken you, forgotten you, like God is not there. You may feel like you can do no wrong, like you are 10 feet tall and bulletproof and can't nothing touch you. Well, that's how you may feel. And how you feel may seem incredibly real right now. If you're in the midst of one of those places, it may be your emotions, it may be how you feel, and it may be the most central reality in your life. If you feel it deep in your soul, it may define who you are. That is the power of emotion. And I like to feel things, and I enjoy life, and I enjoy the beauty and the nature and the power of God. I enjoy those things. But here's the thing, y'all. Just because you feel it does not make it so. You may feel worthless, but you are made in the very image of God. And God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He rose up his son from the grave to redeem you and forgive you and restore you from the brokenness of sin and from the brokenness of humanity. You may feel worthless, but you are of infinite value to our loving God. Just because you feel worthless does not make you worthless. And you may feel like God has forsaken you and forgotten you, but his word says, where could I flee from your presence? Even if I make my bed in hell, still there you'll find me. Jesus promised us before he ascended that I am with you to the end of the age. You may not feel like God is there, but trust me, friends, he is there even if you don't feel it. And you may feel like, boy, howdy, you are the cat's pajamas and the bee's knees. And can't nothing mess with you. Well, pride goeth for the fall. So tread carefully. Because pride can trip us up. Emotion, feelings are a great advisor, but a terrible master. Today it says... Put on the mind of Christ. Control it. Think about how you think. Think about your thoughts. Think about how you view things. Put on the mind of Christ. Okay, well, preacher, what does it mean to put on the mind of Christ? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. We read in the text today two distinct understandings of what it's talking about here. First, it says, we're going to read verses 6 and through 8. Let us have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the very form of God, did not regard equality with, as God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of slave and being born in human likeness. Being found in the human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even death on the cross. First, we see Jesus' mind. Jesus understood this. He understood who he was. Scripture says there, took on the very, he said, though he was the very form. Some scriptures say the very nature of God. He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. He had the very form of God. The, the creed we read this morning, the Nicene Creed, you may, it's one of those creeds we kind of know, but it's kind of unfamiliar. It is the oldest written like formulated creed the church has. It goes back to the third century. The Apostles' Creed was said earlier than the Nicene Creed, but the Nicene Creed was the first creed the church ever really put together. And notice how much of it's about Jesus. True God from true God, light from light, eternally begotten of the Father, not made. It's all focused in and centered on Jesus. This text here says he was the very nature of God. The way we put it in Bogachuda. He was made of the same stuff. He had the same innards, the very being God, that he was God. Jesus Christ knew who he was. He was the very nature, the very being, the very same as God the Father. He was God. He understood who he was, and he understood where his identity was found, and that was in his Father. So to take on the mind of Christ means for us, We have to know where our identity is found. Our identity is not, cannot be found in our work. Our identity is not, cannot be found in our hobbies. Our identity is not, cannot be found in our status, in our money, in our wealth, in the success of our children, in our very own health. All of these things are trivial. They can be taken. If your identity is in your house, in your home, look out for tornadoes. If your identity is in the success of your children, your children are human, and they will fail at some point. If your identity is found in your job, That job can be lost. All of these things are wonderful and great, but they are not eternal. And these things are good. They are blessings from God, but they cannot be the source of our identity. Our identity cannot be found in even the greatest human relationships. Our identities cannot be found in our friendships. Our identity must be found in Christ, in Christ alone. You are his beloved. He died for you. He rose for you. You are made in his image. He is yours and you are his. And that is the identity in your life that can never be corrupted, that can never be taken, that nothing can shift, that nothing can take from you, that nothing can tear from you. You are his He loves you. He gave himself for you. And to put on the mind of Christ is to understand that even when you don't feel like it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's difficult and hard and hurting, to understand that you are a child of God that Christ Jesus died for, no matter how you feel, no matter what folks tell you, no matter how hard it may seem, to understand who you are. Jesus Christ was the very nature of God. 
To have the mind of Christ is to understand who we are in Jesus and that our very core identity must come from him above anywhere else. But secondly, because he had the mind of Christ and knew where his identity was found, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born of human likeness, being found of human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I like to walk in the mornings because I'm weird. And we have these little, some little, uh, we live in a subdivision and there's not many, na- many dogs out. But recently I've had a walking buddy recently, little big teacup looking fella. But yay big. And man, he likes to bark. He'll come and tell you, go, rawr, 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 rawr. like, dude, chill out. Like, seriously, I could eat you. Like, you're this big. You're like a fun sized dog. I mean, just one bite and you're gone. So, I, but I love dogs. So I don't want to hurt him. So he just, rawr, 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 rawr. so I just got, sometimes I'll make a hard step at him. And he'll go, rawr, and just run. Sometimes those that bark the loudest feel the worst. Sometimes when I bark the loudest, I feel the worst. I've I've learned a lot about myself this summer. Part of that is my inadequacy sometimes. I'm not nearly as gifted as I might think that I am or others might think that I am. My identity cannot be found in my performance as a pastor because I'm going to fail you at some point if I haven't already because I'm imperfect. And you have a Savior, and that Savior's name is Jesus. Not Andy. And you know what that is when I realize that? It's kind of freeing to understand that my identity is not wrapped up in my performance, but that my identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. I'm free to then serve because when I get it wrong, it's not the end of the world. Sometimes we're afraid to serve. Because we're afraid of what people think. We're afraid of how they're going to think about us. And we care more about them than we do God or even, our, or even ourselves, <laughs> you know. See, that's the thing about humility. There were these, there were these monks in the Middle Ages called the uh, Phlegium. They, had a, had a, they, they would wear what's called a hair shirt. A hair shirt was an undershirt that you wore, and inside the hair shirt were, were needles. You'd wear the hair shirt, it would constantly prick you, and you would bleed. And they would take these, it was a, take a cat of nine tails. They'd walk from village to village, flagellating themselves to show how holy they were. That's not humility. That's not humility. That's masochism. C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You're made in the image of God. You are beloved. Christ died for you. You are of sacred worth to our heavenly Father. You are invaluable. 
Don't ever let anyone or anything tell you anything other than that. When you understand that, then you're free to serve. Because then you realize that your identity is not tied to your performance or you getting it right. But that your identity is found in Christ Jesus. To put on the mind of Christ is to understand who we are. But to put on the mind of Christ is to understand that when we know who we are, we are free then to fully love God's people, God's creation, and even love ourselves. To put on the mind of Christ is an active thing. To understand who we are. To understand how we're called to live. A life of humble service and obedience to a loving Savior who loves us and who defines us. And y'all, that's hard. That's hard to do. To put on the mind of Christ is hard. Because sometimes it cuts against who we are. But it's the path of freedom. Back when I was a failure as a youth pastor at Raymond, I was uh, working my first job out of college, and um, I was managing the stock room for a bookstore. And uh, I had a I had a coworker there who, you know, I made the joke before about how um, there's some folks you like you want to pray for really hard around the neck. I wanted to pray for this guy really hard around the neck, because he told me this. He said. Andy, I wasn't called to work. I was called to preach. I'm like, ooh, you said that. That's supposed to be your inside voice, not your outside voice. You don't say things like that. Even if you think it, you don't say it. He was the most frustrating person I ever worked with in my entire life. He, he, he drove me crazy. Like, I think he drove me more crazy than I drive Holly. I mean, like, it was ridiculous. So you know what I did? I always loved this passage. I wrote this passage out by hand and taped it to my computer because I didn't want to serve this guy. I didn't like him. I wouldn't want to serve somebody I didn't like. But I knew, I knew that, frankly, God had him there for my sanctification. That difficult person in your life, that person you don't like, God may have placed that person in your life to sanctify you to grow you closer to God because you may not be able to love that person apart from God. Apart from God's grace in your life, you may not be able, you may, you may hate that person apart from God's grace. You may not be able to stand that person apart from God's grace. And God may have placed that person in your life simply to make you cling closer to the cross. And that person may be a motivating factor driving you closer to our Savior. So in the end, you may thank God for that person because that person may drive you closer to Christ. But that's active. And that's hard to do. And it's an act of God's grace in our life to put on the mind of Christ. Today, do we put on the mind of Christ in our daily life? And do we find the freedom that comes from knowing who we are? Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. God, help us to love you and serve you more and more each day. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And our closing invitational hymn, the altar is open.
Perhaps you've never made the decision to put your full faith in Jesus Christ. Well, today is a great day to put your trust in Jesus. Perhaps there's somebody right now in your life that